Welcome to Zion Fellowship's Sermon of the Week. This podcast hosts the weekly Sunday service message from Zion Fellowship, a spirit-led and life-giving local church in Canandaigua, New York, pastored by Chris and Joan Wood. We hope this resource encourages, challenges, and helps you in your journey with God. So whether you're driving, washing dishes, or sitting in your living room, let's prepare our hearts together as we hear the word of the Lord. All right, well, grab your Bibles and turn to a couple of places. Turn to the Gospel of John, John chapter 14. And then also, once you find John chapter 14, then I want you to flip a few pages uh, forward in the New Testament to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4. John 14 and Acts chapter 4. And uh, we're going to get to those uh, passages in just a moment. We are in the middle of a series uh, all about one. Thank you, George Reuter, for preaching a powerful message last week on the gospel. That was powerful. Joan and I were able to watch uh, from Kansas City. And so, uh, you know, I asked Fran to scan the, uh, the congregation so I would know who was here and who wasn't. No, not really. We, no, we don't do that. We don't, we don't do that. Um, but uh, we were able to join you in worship and, and listen to a powerful message. And I think last week I got saved. So um, it was powerful. It was great. And so, uh, so uh, this morning I want to continue along those lines. And uh, there are no notes to follow. So those of you who are working uh, the screens today, you can just uh, relax, go get a cup of coffee, settle in, and, and follow along with me. Uh, we're going to be talking about one of those questions that's often raised. Uh, and, uh, you know, we've talked about the question of, is there a God? And, uh, and how you can answer that when people are, are curious about that. And, and uh, we followed that up by talking about why we believe that the Bible is God's word and it's authoritative in our lives and, and why we feel it's inerrant and, and why we, we draw our attention to it for uh, counsel and direction and, and understanding of the nature and the purposes of God. We've talked about some of those things because those are questions that people have. And I believe we're living in an hour where the Lord wants the, the church to be more vocal in what she believes and why she believes it. There are people who have all kinds of questions, and, and uh, there's such great confusion amongst so many about all of the different uh, philosophies that are out there, or the different religions, or, or the different things that, that people say are important. And as a result, in the minds of many people, many people are making decisions about their personal lives out of confusion or the result of that they've believed a lie. And, uh, and, uh, you know, and so, so they're, they're messing up their lives incredibly because nobody has told them the truth. And I believe one of the reasons the church is on the earth today is not only to worship God uh, wholeheartedly, but to love our neighbor as ourself. And one of the ways that we love our neighbor as ourself is to tell them the truth that we know. And so this morning, I'm going to address uh, one of the questions of belief that is often uh, um, uh, the pushback on this is it, it's, it's too exclusive. It's, it's, you know, it's too narrow. And, and, and a lot of times when people think about Christianity and they think about what you believe and what I believe in regards to Christianity, um, the, 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 you know, the, the idea that Jesus is the only way to the Father or Jesus is the only way to heaven is greeted with this idea of, oh, that's, that's so exclusive. 
passive. And, and it's such a, a narrow way of looking at life. And, 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 you know, and so questions arise, well, you know, if, if he's a good God and a loving God, like you say, well, shouldn't he just let well-intentioned people into heaven? Or, or you know, if he's generous and, 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 and couldn't he just be broad-minded enough to let anyone in who gives it a good try? And then, and then, of course, you know, it, it doesn't take long before you get in a conversation and, and people start citing what other religions believe. And, and they say, well, aren't all religions pretty much the same? Don't we all believe in the same God with a different name? And, 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 and so when you get right down to it, aren't we all on the same playing field? And to that question, we have to respond no. Because Jesus is the only way to the Father. He is the only way to heaven. And it's the, the word only that becomes a stumbling block to so many people. But it's in Scripture. The word only is a difficult word for many people to navigate. For the unbeliever, they say, well, what do you mean? Only. Can't there be more than one way? And, and to that response, we have to say no. But we have to be able to say no with, with compassion and care and love and, and be, be positioned to then explain why we say he is the only way. And I've talked to many believers that have a hard time with this conversation simply because they say, well, I know a lot of people that are just really sincere, good Kind people, surely God, uh, if they never confess Jesus Christ as Lord, surely God would never send them to hell. Or they raise the question, what about those in, in faraway lands and deep jungles who have never heard the name of Jesus Christ? What, what about them? What is God going to do with them? And, and yet the scripture clearly teaches us, and I'm going to point this to you today, but I'm going to point you also to how to respond to the questions that Jesus is the only way. John chapter 14, are you with me? John chapter 14, verse 1, Jesus speaking to his disciples. This is on the night just before he is betrayed and before he goes to the cross and, and suffers a cruel, cruel death, but that death that he suffers is a death that he died for all. So that our sins might be forgiven. So that we might be brought back into right relationship with God. And he's trying to explain this to his disciples. And, and so in, in verse 1, he's talking to them and he says, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many mansions. And if it were not so, I would have told you. And I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and I prepare a place for you, I will come again. And receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know. And the way, you know. And Thomas, who we know as one who later would doubt, said, Lord, we don't know where you are going. So how can we know the way? In other words, how, how, where, what path are you going? What, what way are you going? How, how are we supposed to understand what you're talking about here, Jesus? To which he responds, 
And this is Jesus speaking. This is not John speaking on behalf of Jesus. He is literally writing for us how Jesus responded to Thomas' question. And Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one, this is Jesus speaking, no one comes to the Father except through me. Now, if you write in your Bibles, I want you to circle three little words. It's the same word spoken three times. It's the word the. Jesus says, I am the way. Circle it. I am the truth and I am the life. Now, the word the When you find it in Greek text, that word is used not only to emphasize something, but to suggest uniqueness. And so Jesus himself is using a word to not only speak of the uniqueness of who he is, but to emphasize what he's trying to say. In other words, Jesus is not saying to them, I have come to show you the way. And some people in the church teach it this way. That, that, listen, you want to be a good Christian? Look at the way Jesus lived his life. And you live your life the way Jesus lived his life. And that for you will solidify the fact that you're going to go to heaven. Just live a good life. Follow the way of Jesus. Now there's nothing wrong with that. And I would encourage you to do that. But that's not what Jesus is saying here. Jesus is not saying follow a way of life. He's not saying follow a philosophy of life. He's saying follow a person. And the person that you need to follow is me because I am the only way to God. He's saying that. He's he's saying I am the only way for fallen man to get back to the Father. And the way Jesus had to travel that pivotal moment or point in history of the world, the way that Jesus traveled was through the cross of Calvary. No other religion talks about a God who dies for them. And yet here's Jesus saying, I am the only way. I am going to shed my blood. I am going to sacrifice my life. I am going to shatter the immovable barrier between sinful man and a holy God. I am the only way to the Father. But he doesn't stop there. He says, I am also the only truth. And we live in a day and an hour where people are trying to promote all kinds of truths. And when Jesus says, I am the truth, he's saying, I am the incarnate truth. I am the truth of God. I am the the, the real deal, if I could say it that way. And when you see it in that light, you begin to understand every other truth that men try to perpetrate on the earth is error in light of Jesus. And what he says is true. And so we are living in an era, we're living in a generation where, where we're being told, Art, you can have your truth and live by it, and I'll have mine. And as a result, there has been sown all kinds of confusion where you get people believing things about themselves that God has never said about them. 
And it's because they have believed a lie and thought it to be true. But Jesus said, no, if, if you will look to me, you will find truth. And I love how Jesus does this. And he says, and when you find truth, not a philosophy, when you find the incarnate truth of God that, is rep- that, that, that I am representing on the earth, maybe that's not a good way to say it because Jesus is saying, I am the incarnate truth. He says, when you find me, you find truth. And all the errors and all the lies come into perspective because you are looking at me. I am the truth. And then he says, not only that, I'm the, I, I'm the life. And he's talking about right here, he's talking about the breath of resurrected life that's going to come through and into fallen man because of what he will accomplish on the cross of Calvary. Later on in the book of Acts, and if you want to turn there now to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4, here's the apostle Peter, and he's preaching like crazy, and, and he's declaring the word of God after the baptism of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, and he's getting himself into all kinds of trouble along with the other disciples because they are standing solid on this reality that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. And they're brought before the Sanhedrin. And the Sanhedrin are confronting them because the nature of the preaching of the gospel of Christ will stir up the community. If the church starts preaching like the early disciples start preaching and we all step into our role and begin to declare the truth of Jesus Christ, not to fight with people, but to deliver people into the truth of the reality of the kingdom of God. Guess what will happen? Your city, my city, it will get stirred up. And so the Sanhedrin are trying to put a, you know, they're trying to put a muzzle on this thing. They're trying to put a muzzle on this fresh move of God because these disciples who are now filled with the power of the Holy Spirit through the baptism of the Holy Spirit, they're out there and they're preaching the word of God. And so they say, after the healing of a gentleman, they arrest Peter and John and, and they say, by what power? Or by what name have you done this? <laughs> I love the boldness. See, Peter always had, had a way with words, didn't he? But it says, verse 8, Acts chapter 4, verse 8, watch. Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day are judged for a good deed, the healing of a lame man, done to a helpless man by what means he has been made well, let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel, there it is, boldness, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom was crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands here before you whole. This, speaking of Jesus, is the stone which, the re- which was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone. Now, look at verse 12. Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we may be saved. 
No other name but the name of Jesus by which man can be saved. Buddha can't save you. Confucius can't save you. Muhammad can't save you. There's only one name, and it's the name of Jesus. So when you start speaking like this, here's what happens. People start pushing back, and they start saying, that's so exclusive. You're so narrow-minded. Or in the, the hour and in the age in which we live, you are called a hater. Isn't that right? That is such hateful speech, Chris. For you to insist that there's only one way to God and the one way is Jesus and I have to believe the way that you believe. No, you don't have to believe the way I believe. You have to believe the way the scripture says you have to believe. But you're called narrow-minded. You're called hateful. You're called all of these things. And as a result, there are many in the church that are saying, ah, you know what, that message, Chris, that message is kind of hard. Let's, let's not push that hard. Let's, let's find another way in. Let's just talk about God being love. And he is. He is a God of love. And I'm going to show you how you can talk about this and weave into the fact that not only is God loving, he is just and he's good. And people who say to you, Chris, that's an exclusive message. They really haven't looked at all of the other religions of the world, nor have they taken a strong look at the message of Christianity. Because all the other religions of the world, they're exclusive in nature. They all have a way to get to God. And it has something to do with what you have to do. Agnosticism is exclusive because they say no one can know. They're exclusive in their thought patterns. So don't allow yourself to be caught up in a conversation or an argument that suggests that Christianity is exclusive. Because when you look at the scripture and you look at the message, you begin, if you do it with an open heart, you begin to see that Christianity, among all the other religions that are out there in the world, Christianity is the most inclusive of all world religions. It's the least complicated. And it's the most inclusive because Christianity, now don't misunderstand, hear what I'm saying. Christianity doesn't insist that you have to do anything to be saved. What Christianity says is you have to believe in someone. You have to believe in what someone has done for you. All the other religions say your salvation is dependent on what you do. Help us all if that's the truth. How many of you kind of screwed up this week? And if it's dependent upon your perfection, God help us all. 
But the message, the inclusive message of the gospel is that whosoever believes shall be saved. So it's a very inclusive message. It's a message that's saying you don't have to do anything to work your way into the favor of God. Someone did it for you. His name is Jesus. And if you will believe in him with all of your heart and believe what he did on the cross of Calvary was for your salvation and for your forgiveness of sins and for your cleansing. If you will believe that, that's all I'm asking you to do is believe that, then you will start living your life differently from that moment on. So here are some of the major problems that we run into when we talk about this stuff. First one is the problem of good intentions. Well, what about all the good intention people? Listen, here's what I'm going to say to you about good intentions. I have gotten myself into more trouble in more times because of good intentions. Good intentions with poor methodology equals disaster. All the major religions of the world ask their followers for what? Sincerity. Just be sincere. And each one claims that their way is the only way. But when you look at their claims, you begin to ask these kind of questions. How can there be more than one way to God? How can there be more than one description of what heaven is like? Why would God allow such great confusion on the earth if he wants people to love him? Why would a loving God visit one area of the world and describe one way to get to heaven and then show up in another part of the world and tell them something different? Here's the answer to that question. He wouldn't. If you understand who God is, if you understand his goodness, if you understand his justice, if you understand his love, you understand that he is not a God of confusion. He only has one message. And the one message that God proclaims to all the earth is believe in the one that I have sent. And his name is Jesus. So there's the problem of good intentions. Good intentions, listen to me, and if you're listening on on the live stream, good intentions will never get you to heaven. You can be the nicest person on the face of the earth, the kindest, most loving, most caring person on the face of the earth. You still need Jesus. Because your kindness, your love, your caring does not solve the issue of sin that was solved at the cross of Calvary. And there was one man who took your sin upon himself. And there was one man who was able to issue forgiveness because your sin, my judgment, was put upon him on the cross so that the righteousness of God would be imputed to me and there would be made a way of salvation. And the one man is named Jesus. So my good intentions will never get me into heaven. They get me into more trouble than they do. The second problem is the problem of the deceiver. In John chapter 8, verse 41, Jesus is confronting Pharisees who are challenging him and saying, who do you think you are? And by what authority do you say the things that you say? To which Jesus said to them, you, now Jesus, how many of you know that Jesus had a way with words too? And so he responds to them by saying, you are of your father, the devil. That's a good way to start a conversation, isn't it? And the desires of your father, you want to do. 
He was a murderer from the beginning, and he does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar, and he is the father of lies. Now, here's the thing I want you to understand, that when when we're talking about this particular issue, that Satan is a master of misdirection and misinformation. And the last thing he wants is to have people worship the one true living God. And so to keep people from worshiping Jesus, what does he do? He convinces them to worship anything but Jesus. And that's why this is such a strong statement. The third problem is this, the problem of the narrow way. Vast numbers of people have felt God is cold and narrow because he has only allowed for one way to get into heaven. Now, let me give you an example of of a narrow way. A number of years ago, uh, I had a hernia. It's glorious for me to be saying this publicly. But it was giving me a lot of problems, and it was giving me a lot of pain. And so, so I went to the doctor, and after the doctor examined me, he said, well, the only way we're going to solve this, Chris, is uh, for, for you to have surgical repair. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't really like the idea of going under the knife. And I was really hoping that Jesus was going to heal me. But for some reason, I didn't get a physical healing. And so I said to the doctor, is there anything else we can do to avoid surgery? To which he responded by, not if you want to be out of pain. Now, was he being (laughs) narrow-minded? No, he he was being clear, he was being concise, he wasn't being cold or uncaring. He was saying, Chris, the only way that we're going to be able to solve this issue in your life and get you out of pain is to have this hernia surgically repaired. How narrow-minded of him. (laughs) But I'm glad he did, and I'm glad I'm out of pain. See, when we say that the way is too narrow, we have missed the gospel message. It would be like saying, uh, suppose there was once upon a time, uh, these two people that were put in this beautiful garden, and uh, God said to them, you can have the run of the place, but uh, the only thing you can't do is eat from that one tree, but the rest of the place is wide open to you. And, And for some reason, that couple decided it upon themselves that they would, instead of listening to the gracious offer, of having the whole place to themselves, they went after the one thing that they were told not to go after. And upon going after it, instead of God destroying their lives, he he actually makes a sacrifice for their lives and he forgives them of their transgression. And if that wasn't enough, 
That couple now, they begin to have a family and everybody in the family begins to repeat the same transgression that they did before. And year after year and generation after generation, even though God is offering this beautiful relationship and he's offering this beautiful place for them to be, instead of receiving the beauty of what God has for them, they continue to rebel and they continue to do things their own way. And say God would then, in the midst of all of that, continue to forgive and continue to find ways to redeem. He, he raises up one particular nation and he says, well, maybe this will work. And he takes one people group and he says, they are going to be the apple of my eye and I'm going to rain blessing down upon their lives. Not because they're a great people, but because they are my people. And say even that group of people in receiving the blessing and the favor of the Lord generation after generation, instead of receiving and living wholeheartedly to the Lord, they continue to rebel and they continue to say, no, we want to do it our way and we want to have life go our way. They just do it generation after generation after generation so that finally God sends his one and only begotten son and his son comes and they reject reject him and they send him to a cruel cross and they crucify him and yet what God does is he says his actual crucifixion will be for their redemption and through the shedding of his blood I will redeem all mankind and the only thing I ask of you now is that you believe and honor my son. How many of you would say well that's kind of narrow that's kind of cold, but that's exactly the gospel message. What we deserve, we don't get. What we deserve, Jesus took. And as a result, the Father says, and all I'm asking you is to believe on him and honor his name. That doesn't sound narrow to me at all. And it says whoever believes. So the Bible has answers to all of these issues. But the way that I want to just quickly now take you through this is to respond to the questions by talking about certain attributes of God and filtering people's questions through the attributes of God. Now, what's an attribute, you might ask? Well, an attribute can be broken down simply in, in a word study as a tribute. And, and what an attribute is, is, is when you, you give a tribute about someone, you, you cite the good things about their character, the good things the person does, and so the attributes are characteristics specific to a person. And when I talk to people about this and they ask me or they say to me, how do you know that Jesus is the only way, I cite three of the attributes of God. Now, there, there are many more attributes that I'm going to cite right now very quickly for you. But these are the three attributes that I cite. The first one is this. This is what I say to them. How do I know that Jesus is the only way to God? This is how I know God is good. I say to them, I know this. I know that God is good. 
Psalm 119, verse 68. This is, a, this is a verse that I want you to underline, highlight, and meditate for the rest of your life upon, and it will never grow old. Here's the verse. You are good. God, you are good, and you do good. I'm telling you right now, that will never grow old. The psalmist says, you are good and you do good. Teach me your statutes. Psalm 86, verse 5. For you, Lord, are good. Now watch this. Inclusive language. And ready to forgive and abundant in mercy to all who call upon you. Hear that word, all? Super inclusive word. God's ready to forgive and he's ready to show mercy on all who will call upon him. Why? Because he's good. Now I play a little game with Johanna and, and Hudson whenever they're at the house uh, called hide and seek. And they love to hide and they love to have Papa seek them out. And I can always find them, number one, because they're five and three years old and they're never going to hide that good. But I can always find them because they always hide together and wherever they're hiding, they're chuckling and they're laughing at the prospect of Papa finding them. And so when I find them, what do they do? They laugh and they giggle and then they say, let's do it again. God is good. Here's what I want you to hear. First point, he doesn't hide from us. We hide from him. Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. After man sinned, did man go looking for God or did God go looking for him? Right? See, God is seeking people. And he does this by revealing himself, the Bible says, to every person. Luke 19 verse 10, for the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which was lost. I know God is good and I discovered in this pursuit that this good God reveals himself to every person. So don't, don't allow someone to say, well, what if somebody never gets to know him? Listen, the Bible is clear in its revelation that God reveals himself to everyone in one way or another, not just in the way that you think or the way you experienced it. Listen to 1 Samuel 2 verse 27. The man of God came to Eli and said, thus says the Lord, did I not clearly reveal myself? To the house of your father when they were in Egypt and in Pharaoh's house. He says right here. He says, did I not clearly, when the people of God were in captivity in, in Egypt, did I not reveal myself not only to Israel, but watch this, but to all of Egypt? Psalm 92, 2 and 3. Come on, I'm going to just give you some scripture today so you have something to work with. The Lord has made known his salvation. His righteousness has been revealed in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his mercy and his faithfulness to the house of Israel. Now watch this. And all the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of God. God has made known his salvation 
And he's not on an undercover mission. God wants all to be saved. Want me to keep going? Romans chapter 1, 18 and 20. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them. It's made known, it's shown, it's revealed in them. For God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, and that's what we're talking about, the attributes of God, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. And if you need further reference, you can go to Acts chapter 10 and study the, the, the life of Cornelius. The Bible says that here's this Cornelius guy, and, and he's devout, and he's God-fearing, and, and he prays to God, but he has no relationship with God. And so what does God do? He sends the apostle Peter to him. And what does Peter do? He tells him about Jesus. He just doesn't in a generic way, say, you need to know God, Cornelius. He says, God sent his one and only son for your salvation. The one that you seek, his name is Jesus. Now, present day, and, and, and I'm going to say this, and, and you can look this up because I've got I to go real fast here. But there are testimonies coming out of the Muslim world. Present day. Where God is revealing himself or Jesus is revealing himself to Muslims in their dreams. There's a book called Persian Springs. It's about four Iranians to whom Jesus revealed himself to them and they got saved. Now, prior to that, they had never even heard the name Jesus, nor had they ever opened a Bible. Another man by the name of Ali, he was preparing to go on a pilgrimage to Mecca. He had a dream where Jesus revealed himself to the man. He became a Christian and he canceled his trip to Mecca. And then this one is the most astounding one for me. He's a Muslim man. He's in the army. He's been trained to do two things. He's been trained to kill people without emotion and to make fake passports. For seven years, every night, Jesus, Jesus visited him in his dreams. Didn't know what to do with it. So finally he went to his mother, and he said to his mother, here's what's happening. His mother said, you need to get out of the country right now. And he says, well, I'm not talking about converting. I'm just trying to share with you my dreams. This Jesus character keeps on coming into my dreams. She says, if your brothers hear this, and one of, one of, one of his brothers was a general in the army. <laughs> she said, if your brothers hear about this, they'll kill you. And so he left. Now watch, watch the providence of God and the goodness of God. We're talking about his goodness. So he leaves. He's by himself. He's out there in the world. And he bumps into, not in China, he bumps into a Chinese businessman who's a Christian. They get involved in a conversation. He shares about these dreams that he's been having for the last seven years, every night of his life. And the Chinese Christian businessman leads him to Christ. 
As a result, this man gets behind him, supports him. This young Muslim man goes off to a seminary. He's trained in biblical study and missionary work with the intention of going back into his country as a missionary to share the gospel. And when asked how he intended on getting back into his country, he paused and he said, I know how to make fake passports. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, Jesus is revealing himself to those who are sincere and who are seeking the one true God. God is good. Number two, God is just is the second attribute. And I'm trying to go quick here for you. Psalm 7 verse 1, God is a just God. And God is angry with the wicked every day. Jeremiah 29, you can read it later, but Jeremiah 29, God has said within that context, after revealing his goodness and saying, I have a plan for you, I have good thoughts about you, I think about you every day and the thoughts that I have for you and the plan that I have for you, it's all good. And then he says, and if you seek me, I will let you find. Deuteronomy 4, verse 29, but from there you will seek the Lord your God and you will find him if you seek him with all of your heart and with all of your soul. Proverbs 8, verse 17, I love those who love me and those who seek me diligently will find me. I'm talking about a just God. People say, well, how could, how could God ever let somebody who never heard about him go to hell? Listen, the point that I'm trying to make is the scripture clearly declares that he reveals himself to all mankind and he is just to forgive those who seek him with their whole heart. Acts chapter 17, 26 and 27, and he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings so that... In other words, he's put you where you are. He's put you in the generation that you find yourself. Why has he done this? Why are you here now? Why are you in this place physically? And why are you here in this generation? Why? So that you might seek the Lord in the hope that they might, and this is God's hope, that you might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. Back to hide and seek. Eventually in my game with Hudson and Johanna, they finally say, now Papa, you hide. They're five and three years old. And so how do I hide? In clear sight. And they run around for about five minutes, sometimes running right past me. And then suddenly they stop and they go, there you are. I think God does the same thing with us. He says, if I do hide myself, I'll hide myself in clear sight. And for those who will seek me with all of their heart, they will find me. Listen to me this morning. The volume of your knowledge of God will never match what you need when it comes to the intensity of your search for him. 
See, people say, well, if I just had more understanding, if I just had more knowledge, if I just had this, if I just had that, thinking that the intensity of what they acquire in knowledge is going to lead them to God. No, what leads you to God is the intensity of your search for him. And the Bible says if you seek him with all of your heart, if you go after him with all, you will find him. Number three, God is love. He is a just God. He is a good God. This is how I talk to people. And then I say he's a loving God. And they say, well, how can you say that, Chris? People go to hell all the time. And, and, I, and this is how I walk them through this. I say, okay, let's, let's think about this for a minute. My Bible teaches me that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever, everybody say that word, whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. C.S. Lewis put it this way. He said, there's two types of people. There is the one who bows their knee to God and says, your will be done. And there's then, then there's the one who will not bow their knee to God and God says to them, your will be done. You see, people are going to hell because they will to. Let that one sink in. See, God, God is just, He is good, He is fair, He is loving. But He has also given you the ability to choose. It's called free will. Every person, every person here today, every person on the live stream this morning, every person will end up in his or her eternal destiny exactly where he or she chooses to be. If you choose your life selfishly, if you choose to live apart from God, if you choose to say, I'm going to do it my way and, 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 and it's my way or the byway, if you choose to do that, guess what? You have chosen your eternal destiny. But if you choose to give your life to Christ, recognizing that He is the only way to the Father, He is the only way to God, and I can't get to God but through Him and through what He accomplished on Calvary. You see, you cannot shed your blood for the forgiveness of your sins. There was only one pure. There was only one right. There was only one good enough to die for the sins of all mankind. And His name is Jesus Christ. You can't get around this. This is truth. This is fact. This is reality. And the Father has done that so that you might have relationship with Him. Because you were born in sin and you live as a sinner and the only way that you're saved is through salvation in Christ and Christ alone. But God's loving. He says you have a choice. You can either reject this message and today you can reject what I'm saying and then you have chosen your own destiny. Or you can receive what the Bible says, and I've tried to point you to the Bible, not to my opinion. I've tried to point you to the Bible and show you that there is a God who loves you. There is a God who's good. There's a God who is just, and he is calling you to himself, but he's calling you to himself through his son, Jesus Christ. And that's why Jesus could boldly stand in front of Thomas and say, Thomas, you know the way, because I'm the way, the truth, 
and the life. Now let me conclude this way, and Joan, I see you come and bring your team with you. When we speak and we use words, we use words one of three ways. And I use this as an illustration right now as I try to conclude this message. We speak univocally. I think that's how you say it. But that means I use a word just one way. Or equivocally, and that is I use one word, but it might have numerous meanings. Or analogically, I can speak analogically. So if I say, now let me break this down for you. Because I, I was never a great student when it came to English and language. I was not. And so this is how it works, okay? If I say to you, I love you and Joan loves you, okay? I have spoken in a univocally way, using love one way. Joan loves you just like I love you. But now if I was to say to you, I love you and I love Joan, I'm speaking equivocally and I don't want you to get offended now, but I will never love you with the same intensity with which I love Joan. Because I love Joan. I don't love you. I love you, but I love Joan. <laughs> to, to further impress this thought on you, say you were to ask me, uh, Chris, um, do you play golf? And I said, well, yeah, I, I, I play golf. And you, you would say to me, well, are you a good golfer? I would say, well, not as good as I used to be, but yeah, I'm, I'm a pretty good golfer. And then you went on a trip and you bumped into an individual that you had never met before and you asked them, hey, my name's uh, Chris and what's your name? And, and they say, well, my name's Phil Mickelson. And you go, well, Phil, what do you, what do, you do? And he says, well, I'm a professional golfer. And you would have say to Phil, hey, Phil, are you a good golfer? <laughs> Phil would probably say, to you, yeah, I'm a pretty good golfer. Now you would be like, so wrong and so misconstruing this idea if you said to him, hey, Phil, you ought to play a round of golf with Chris Wood because he's a good golfer too. See, when I, when I say I love you, it can't even compare to the love of God for you. See, because God's goodness is, is so much better than ours. And his justice is so much higher than ours. And God's love is, is so much deeper than ours. Now, if I say to you, I love you, and you refuse my love, it hurts me because I've lost something. But when God says he loves you, and you refuse his love, his heart hurts too, not because he's lost something, but because you've lost something. There are two portions of Scripture where it says Jesus wept. The first one is found at Lazarus' tomb. It says Jesus wept when he encountered Martha and Mary. Jesus wasn't weeping because of the loss of Lazarus. 
because he knew he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead. Jesus was weeping because of the hurt that he saw in the eyes of Martha and Mary and what they had lost. The second place that Jesus weeps is on the last time he enters through the gates into Jerusalem. And he weeps for the nation of Israel because there's an entire generation that is going to reject the Messiah that was sent to them for their salvation. Why does he weep? He weeps because of what an entire generation is going to lose. Telling you this morning, it's your choice. It's your choice. You can look at this message and you can say, well, it still seems narrow to me. Or you can hear the word of God and realize that Jesus has made full provision for you to come into relationship with God. And he's done it through the cross. So I want to ask you all to stand to your feet. And I want you to ask yourself this question this morning. God, what are you saying to me through this message? Because I believe that there are some listening here today, maybe some in this very room today, where you just need to give your life to Jesus Christ. You know, you've been stuck on the fence far too long. You've got one foot in the world and you've got one foot in the church. And let me say to you this morning, you can't live that way. You can't continue to reject the message of the good news that Jesus came to redeem you back to God. And he is the only way for you to come into relationship with God. You see, the other world religions will, will suggest all kinds of solutions because, see, you were built for relationship with God. Every one of us in this room, you were built to be in relationship with a God who loves you, a God who is kind and caring and merciful and just. And He wants you to come into relationship with Him where you can experience all of those realities. But men sometimes, mankind, wants to find another way. They think the idea of someone suffering for their sin and dying for their sin is kind of a gory way to come into relationship with God. But I'm telling you, it's the only way. So men make up ideas. Well, we can, we can solve this problem of relationship with God if I isolate myself and I pull myself away from the world and the influences of the world and I isolate myself on some kind of a mountaintop. This is, this is what Buddhism does. It suggests that if, if men and women will, will pull away from the world and pull away from its influences, that eventually they'll find God in that pursuit. Isolation is not the answer. Okay, so what's another answer that we come up with? How about the, the answer of, of just repeating life over and over and over again until you get it right? That's what Hinduism 
suggests. That's what the New Age movement suggests. That it talks about reincarnation. So if you blow it in this life, hey, you're going to get another go at this. And you can keep doing this until you get it right. What a silly thing. Because if you believe that, the Bible says, no, you get one chance. And there's only one way to go. Okay, okay, well, how about, how about if I just try harder? What, what if I just do some good things? What if I just, listen, that's what Islam teaches. Work the five pillars, give enough effort, you'll earn your way into paradise. That's what the Mormons teach. That's what Jehovah's Witness teach. There's not enough good things that you and I could do to earn the love of God. It's not about what you do. It's about what someone did for you. That's the message. That's what makes Christianity so unique. And that's what makes the message so clear. It's not what you do. It's what God did for you. Now, in response to it, yes, there are things that you need to do. There is a, an aspect of the conditional love. And the conditional love is this. Believe on the one that he sent. Jesus Christ. And that's the relational solution. God says, I'll solve this problem through relationship. I'll call you, I'll win you back to myself through my son. Now, if you're here this morning, and Jesus Christ, now listen, I'm, I'm going to make a clear distinction for you here because I think this is where we get it wrong sometimes in the church. There might be some of you who are saying, well, Jesus, I've asked Jesus for forgiveness of sins. He's my Savior. And to that I would say, hallelujah, but is he your Lord? Have you subjected your whole life to him and said, God, I will go wherever you ask me to go. I will do whatever you ask me to do because you are worthy of all of my adoration. You are the Lord of my life. I am not in charge of my life. I was talking to someone this morning that, that was in a conversation with a Christian man who basically, because of the difficulties this person was facing, he wanted to commit suicide. And the thing about it is, as we were talking about this, I said, oh, we have, to, we have to show that brother compassion, and we have to show that brother love, and we have to show that brother kindness, but we also have to tell him that he, if he is really a follower of Jesus, needs to recognize that he doesn't have the right to take his own life because his life is not his own. See, when Jesus Christ becomes the Lord and Savior, am I okay here? I'm, I'm preaching strong now. But when Jesus Christ is the Lord and Savior of your life and you surrender and submit to him, this is what the Bible says. The Bible says a transaction takes place and you are no longer your own. You belong to the one who purchased your life through his blood. Is Jesus your Lord? Is he the king of your life or are you still calling the shots? I want to close with worship. And as we do this, and I, where are you going, hon? What song are you going to sing? How about Worthy? <laughs> I was hoping she was going to say Worthy. Let's do Worthy. 
And as we, as we close this service in worship and adoration to the King, some of you know that Jesus Christ to you is Lord and Savior. And He is the only way and you are pursuing Him with all of your heart. And I say to that, hallelujah, God be praised. But if you're here today and you have any question in your heart, if you're just doing that, He's my Savior but not my Lord thing. Listen, I learned a long time ago that that is not a good way to navigate your Christian faith. Because when you think you're in charge of life, guess what happens all the time? You stumble, you fall, you stub your toe. You're going to do that anyway. But you're going to do that with such frequency that you'll get a heart towards God that is like, God, why aren't you helping me? Why aren't you there for me? Why don't you care? And he's saying, why don't you submit? Why don't you surrender? Why don't you believe? If you need to, this morning say, Jesus, I want you to be the Lord and Savior of my life. I want you to be the King. I want you on the throne of my heart. Then as we worship, I'm going to ask you just to come to the front. And I just want to pray with you before we release today. And we're going to have leaders up front here, different individuals in this house that, that I trust that are really safe. And they're going to pray with you. But I don't want you to leave today kind of on the fence, one foot in the world, one foot in the church, saying, I think this is okay. No, it's not okay. This is not the day. This is not the hour. This is not the moment where you can play with God. And I've been saying this now for months to us. These are serious days. There are serious things happening right now. And unless the church gets it right, our voice will never be heard. And the only way for our voice to be heard is for our lives to be right. Because when your life is right and you're living for God and you're living in the righteousness of God and the holiness of God and in the love of God and in the goodness of God, when you open your mouth, you open your mouth differently. And you open your mouth with truth. And there are people who are being deceived and lied to. And they're going to go to hell unless somebody who knows the truth tells them that Jesus Christ is the only way. But if Jesus isn't Lord of your life, there will be no conviction in your heart to live that way because you won't want to call someone to live differently than you're living. So this morning, if you want to make Jesus the Lord of your life, maybe you're kind of bashful and you're saying, ah, I've never done this thing. Listen, Jesus said it this way, if you will publicly confess me before men, I will confess you before my Father. How many of you on that day when you stand before the judgment seat of God, how many of you want Jesus to turn to the Father and say, I know him. This is Chris. I don't know about you, but I do. Amen. Amen and amen. We hope this message has encouraged and challenged you in your walk with God today. Again, this podcast is a resource of Zion Fellowship, spirit-led and life-giving local church in Canandaigua, New York. If you'd like to learn more about us, find us at our website at zionfellowship.net or find us on Facebook and Instagram. Also, feel free to give us a call at 585-394-7450. Blessings to you as you continue in your day.